Hi guys, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, once again coming to you from the heart of North Yorkshire, England. And, well, what can I say? It really feels like spring is here. I know I harp on about the weather a lot, and uh, maybe some of you are a bit tired of it, but it's sunny, it's warm, the birds are singing, it's great, and I love spring. I love spring. It's the end of winter, summer's not far away. It's, it's a good time of year. I like it. So, I'm in the... Uh, the Dissecting Dexter mobile studio, as always, and uh, it's getting a bit warm in here. I might have to take my jacket off, actually. Welcome, everybody, whether you're new listeners, old listeners, everyone welcome. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for downloading. This week, we are talking about Season 1 of Dexter, Episode 10, Seeing Red. Now, before we get into that, I feel that with everything that's been going on in the world lately, I just want to just publicly express my dismay and and great sadness at at what's been happening lately, Uh, particularly in Japan last week, which was just, well, just astonishing to see on television. There were some spectacular pictures, but spectacular in, not in the exciting sense. It It was just terrible to watch the devastation unfolding right before my eyes. Uh, along with everybody else in the world who was no doubt watching the pictures on television. And my condolences and sympathies and best wishes go to everybody who has been affected by this terrible natural disaster and the people who continue to be affected with the unfolding events surrounding that nuclear power station. Also, God, it's just just going off in all corners of the world, isn't it? It seems Libya. Um, great news that a no-fly zone is to be imposed over Libya. I fear it's probably at least maybe three or four weeks too late. Um, it should have been imposed a lot sooner, and maybe a lot of lives would have been saved. But um, I mean, this isn't a, a political podcast at all. But I feel just as a human being. Um, I feel like I should publicly express my my horror at, at some of the things that are going on in the world, and I'm sure you'll join me in in wishing uh, the forces of good uh, all the, well. A bit, a bit of a trite phrase, but all the best. We can just hope that there's a, a, a peaceful resolution soon, and um, that uh, well, that Gaddafi, well, that uh, someone can put a stop to him. Uh, and the atrocities he's committing against his own people, which you know we've seen before in the world, and uh, no doubt we'll see again. And it's it's just awful to see. Okay, so uh, you know, well, you know, there are other things going on in the world, and I, I I'll cut it off there. But um, you know, as as a human being, uh, you know, I'm thinking about you, and uh, well, it feels a bit a bit feeble, really, to just you know, I'm just one voice, but. Um, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay, so back to Dexter. We're nearing the end of season one, aren't we? And uh, things are hotting up. So, episode 10 of season one, Seeing Red. Original air date was the 3rd of December 2006. The episode was written by Kevin Maynard. Now, I always like to say a few words about the writer and director of, of the episodes. And Kevin Maynard is an interesting one. 
Seeing Red is a popular episode among fans and has some pivotal stuff for the season. Yet, this is the only episode that Maynard is credited as main writer. He's listed on IMDb as staff writer for several others this season, so he has had some input, but this one seems to have been his only baby. Strange, then, that after season one, he never darkened Dexter's doorstep again. Since then, though, he's credited with (laughs) numerous trashy-looking reality shows, not least one featuring Jessica Simpson. Very strange, but maybe he felt serial drama wasn't for him. Strange when he contributed to such a great season of television and wrote Seeing Red, an episode that contains a really harrowing sequence, but a highlight of the season. And also, it's an episode with some very nice dark humour thrown in. The episode is directed by Michael Cuesta. Now, we've spoken about him before. He's been a mainstay this season, directing five episodes of the 12, including the pilot and the finale. Most recently, though, he's worked on the series Blue Bloods, and he also directed the pilot of Homeland, a potential new show on Showtime, the home of Dexter, of course. It stars Claire Danes and is being developed by former 24 producer Howard Gordon. Just the pilot episode is listed on IMDb so far, so it's maybe not been commissioned yet as a full season. It's about a CIA agent who discovers that a US soldier, played by Damien Lewis from Band of Brothers, is planning a terrorist attack. So, well, it sounds quite interesting, so it might be one worth looking out for. Right, let's get stuck into the episode. Let's go with the review. It's breakfast time at Rita's house. Dexter's keeping it cheerful with the kids while someone's changing the locks. We later learn this is the morning after the attack from Paul, although it's not perfectly clear in this particular scene. It does sound like Dexter's alerted the police about him, though. Then at the police station, Deb's eating some birthday cake from one of her colleagues and offers Dokes some. He says, no thanks, I had somebody's birthday ten days ago. Ew. I wonder if it's got a nice green fluffy topping with primeval life forms growing in it. Nice. Way to go, Deb. <laughs> Across the office, someone opens a package and discovers a jar filled with blood. They call Dexter over and he makes a remark to the office worker who opened the package, saying there could be some airborne toxin inside. It freaks her out a bit and she scuttles off to wash her hands, understandably, and Dexter mutters something about her being so gullible, which Actually, I thought it was really mean. It was a pretty cruel thing to tease her about. We've liked Dexter so far, and this was maybe the first time I've found something to dislike. Hopefully it's a one-off. He notices something inside the jar. It's a hotel key. They head over to the hotel to check it out, leaving Dexter standing there gazing at the blood-filled jar. A jar of blood. Dramatic. Cryptic. Playful. Could it be him? first time I watched this episode, I also wondered if this jar was from the ice truck killer. Or maybe we should just call him Rudy now, but you can see the hint of excitement on Dexter's face there. Deb and Dokes get to the hotel and they notice a lack of security cameras, obviously a place well scouted out. And they find out that the guy who rented the room was white and normal looking. Sounds a bit like the cable guy from last week, doesn't it? Bet he'd be ready to cancel your lunch, Dokes says as he unlocks the door. Please 
get back in your room. Metro dispatch, oh. this is 3 Henry 88 out of the Marina View Hotel. I need uniform backup, forensics. Fuck it, just send everybody out. Oh, bloody hell. Deb's reaction there, you're thinking, what the hell is in there? There's a red reflection on their faces, so we assume there's lots of blood. The cavalry arrives and Dexter steps out of the van wearing a complete overall protective suit. He mentions to Masuka that it's a long time since they went prophylactic. <laughs> I like that comment. Masuka starts to tell him something about the girl the night before. But then Dexter cuts him off. Gotta stop you there, Vince. <laughs> nice timing. Deb and Dokes come over. They're warning Dexter that it's bad in there. Dokes emphasises the point, saying it's his wet dream in there. Referring to Dexter, of course. He sends Dexter in alone first. Get a sense for what they're dealing with. The fact that he did this, it would seem that, well, despite his misgivings and suspicions about Dexter, maybe he does respect his skill as a blood expert. Dexter goes up and opens the door to the room without hesitation, but the scene that greets him, it's a bloody mess, literally. There's blood over everything. The floor especially is just swimming with it. Dexter immediately seems to get memories coming back. Just flashes. We see that boy again, sitting in blood, calling out Mummy, crying. The sounds went straight through me, quite, quite unsettling. Dexter's head seems to spin, and he crashes to the floor, splashing into the blood. It's shocking to us, seeing Dexter react like this. He's never once winced at the sight of blood, never coiled away from cutting up his victims. To say he has a strong stomach doesn't come close, but here it really seems to be the flashes of memory making him dizzy, something terrible coming back to him. He's on the floor a few seconds before he scrambles to his feet and makes haste out of the room. Dokes, Deb and LaGuerta are talking outside. Neighbours report hearing a whirring sound coming from the room, but assumed that the occupants were mixing margaritas or something. Dexter surprises them as he bursts forth out of the hotel, red from head to toe, mouth agape, seeming to gasp for air. Deb brushes over to him. Dokes says it looks like something finally got to him. Maybe he's human after all. Dexter maintains he just slipped and he's feeling a bit queasy from low blood sugar, but clearly it's more than that. He really is disturbed by what he saw and what images came to mind. He says the amount of blood in there must have come from several victims, yet there are no bodies. Were you thinking what I was at this point? First time I watched it, I remembered the ice truck killer's victims were all drained of blood. Did he get saved to spill later in one spectacular display? Could be. Forensics go over the room. Masuka's giving a commentary to Dexter, who's waiting out in the hallway. Masuka notices the blood's not clotting, which they think is weird. Dexter's phone rings. It's Rita. Paul filed an assault charge against her, and she's at the sheriff's department being charged. Dexter can't seem to respond too clearly, but says he knows a lawyer who he'll ask to help. When he hangs up, he gets an idea and asks Masuka to find the wall socket. We see a nice clean wall socket where obviously something was plugged in while the blood was spraying. Masuka keeps trying to get Dexter to come in to see, but Dexter keeps responding, Take photos. Lots of photos. They take a lot of blood samples too, assuming it's come from multiple victims. Later, at the police station, Deb tries to have her brother-sister chat with Dexter. It sets off with a little joke before getting serious. Oh, hi. Hi. 
Oh, Masuko was looking for you. Something about drinks at the Bel Canto? Yeah, I told him I had a yeast infection. It's a bit of an overshare. You want to talk about what happened today? Already did. The extra last time I saw you like that was when Dad died. You can talk to me, you know? Just got to open your mouth and move it. I'll call Rudy. I'll tell him I'll be late. Deb, seriously? I puked. I'm fine. Look, I know you want to help, but unless you have breath mints, there's nothing to do. Why do you always do this? Do what? You shut me out. Like your birth father that lived up the highway your whole life and never tried to contact you. I still don't know how that makes you feel. Tell you what, if some random emotion strikes me in the middle of the night, you could be the first one I call. Fine. Whatever. And there goes that wall again. Built up around himself to supposedly protect him from discovery. To be fair to him, he probably doesn't know how he feels exactly, and if he did, could he put it into words? Find the right way to articulate what's going on in his head? And if he managed that... Would he slip up and say something that he shouldn't, reveal a bit too much? So perhaps keeping his mouth shut and pretending he's fine is the best option after all. But you have to feel for Deb. She's only concerned and remembers the last and only time she ever saw Dexter like that, that being when Harry died. So understandably she suspects something major's going on in his head to have him react like that today. We join Rita giving a formal statement about what's happened with Paul, and it doesn't look good for her. It's her word against his, and officially, he's been a model parolee since his release, and he's the one with the injury today, not her. Rita's resolute, understandably wanting to stand her ground and keep Paul away from the kids. But officially, he's not done anything wrong, and if she denies him access, she risks losing them herself. The system sucks, doesn't it? You can see why these things work the way they do. Plenty of ex-cons successfully go straight, of course, but plenty don't. It's a case of innocent until proven guilty, which again we can appreciate. But it doesn't always do a good job of protecting the innocent, as we're seeing here. That night, we joined Deb and Rudy. Deb's talking about the hotel room and all that blood. Rudy says Dexter must have loved it, but Deb tells him how he freaked out. She tries to get in some sexy time going, but Rudy presses her to know how Dexter reacted. Going by the reaction on his face, and assuming he was responsible for the blood in the room, he looked a bit surprised to learn that Dexter was upset by it. He was obviously expecting some other reaction, excitement perhaps, puzzlement, but not for him to freak out like he did. Interesting, and perhaps an occasion when Dexter intrigues and puzzles him, rather than the other way round. It concerns him so much that he's not in the least bit interested in getting jiggy with Deb who's surprised herself to find that he's not up for it. Rudy says maybe he should call Dexter. Like that'll get Dexter to talk. Dexter's only known him a couple of days. He's hardly going to reveal his inner thoughts to him. Now, Deb, <laughs> she's getting a bit pissed off at Rudy's concern. But Rudy says he thinks they bonded last weekend when they cleared Driscoll's house. I'm not sure Dexter considers him a bosom buddy, but the mood goes cold and Deb looks upset as Rudy goes off to watch TV. Don't follow me. Follow the podcast. Get on Twitter and follow at Dissect Dexter. Elsewhere, there's a brief scene with Masuka at a nightclub with Batista. 
Masuku's trying to have fun, but Batista's got all drunk and maudlin, talking incessantly about his ex-wife. Meanwhile, Masuka seems to have pulled. Fair play. We joined Dexter in bed. Steady girls, not like that. Anyway, there'd be no room between him and Rita. He's thinking about the boy in the blood. He wishes he'd go away. I think at this point, it's safe for us to assume the boy is Dexter, although we don't know for sure. And if that's the case, then he's talking about this boy as if he's someone else. Something I'm sure Dr Meridian would have had an opinion on. But his head's getting a bit mixed up now, with the revelation that Harry lied to him about his real father, and now these disturbing images of the boy. Of course he wants them to go away. They're confusing and upsetting to say the least, although, of course, Dexter isn't visibly upset, but we can appreciate how it's unsettled him. His voiceover goes on to say that he's good at taking care of other people's problems better than his own, and he says how Rita's problem has a name. Does this mean he's going to sort out Paul? Oh, I hope so. Next day, Dexter's at work, talking to LaGuerta. Also, Dokes, Deb and Masuka are there. Dexter's analysed the bloody footprints in the hotel room and worked out that apart from the police, only the perpetrator's footprints could be found. The penny drops with the others. Where are the victim's prints? The pennies drop like a cascade once Masuka reveals the blood analysis has identified at least five victims. The ice truck killer had five bloodless victims. Dexter says he always wondered what happened to the blood. Now they know. Dokes isn't convinced, though. Wait, wait. The ice truck killer did not hoard his victim's blood just to have a party at the motherfucking Marina View Hotel. Why would he do that? To chase me down the rabbit hole. What was that, Morgan? No, I didn't say anything. I love that. The look on Dexter's face when Dokes turned to him. Great moment of humour. This show does a good job of those little one-liners. Dokes goes on to say that Neil Perry is the ice truck killer and is going to trial. LaGuerta points out that he retracted his confession. Dokes says, go tell that to the captain, and she says she already did. Dexter goes on to say the blood contained anticoagulants and is old. They decide to run tests to see if the blood matches any of the known ice truck killer victims. LaGuerta sends Deb and Dokes back to the hotel to try and retrace the killer's steps. But she stresses that this is all to be kept quiet. She's obviously playing a crafty political game here. If she can get concrete proof that the killer is still out there, then it undermines the Perry trial and dumps a ton of egg on Captain Matthew's face, which obviously she stands to benefit from. Back at Rita's, Rita's getting the kids ready to go out, but she's pretty overprotective for obvious reasons. Paul turns up and knocks at the door. He's come to pick them up, a court supervisor in tow, and Paul's got his head all bandaged up, which was nice to see. I hope it hurts. Rita has to watch the kids go, but there's a look in Dexter's eyes as he watches Paul. Quite a nice performance from Julie Benz there as the concerned mother. Dexter then takes matters into his own hands. Hooray, at last. He breaks into Paul's motel room to look for something incriminating. Proof of his inner monster, as he puts it. I suppose it's a bit too much to expect Dexter to find evidence of Paul being a killer, but if he, if he can just find enough to send him back to prison, that'll do. In voiceover, though, he talks about a preemptive kill, which is pretty unprecedented for Dexter. Does his protective instinct, his feelings for, De for, for Rita and the children, do they overrule his better judgment? He says, after all, Harry wasn't perfect. He lied about my birth father. Him talking like that comes across like a 
Well, it, it seems like more of like a childish reaction to me. But Dexter finds a gun in one of the drawers and speculates it could be an ingredient in a family slaughter. The thought triggers more memory flashes. We hear a woman's voice, a boy screaming. We see a dismembered body, blood everywhere. And we see the dark-haired boy again sitting in a pool of blood. Someone else's blood, probably. Dexter hightails it out of the room in a sweat, his head swimming again. He goes out on his boat and my favourite bit of Dexter music plays, the blood theme. That's the music I play over my closing out of the podcast. We join Deb and Dokes back in the hotel room. Deb turns the conversation to Rudy and that they had their first fight. Then something clicks. She hears something on the radio, 103FM. This is room 103. Dokes sees a Bible on the side with a bookmark in it. He opens it up and the page is Leviticus 10, 3, 103. And the chapter says, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Deb says, do you think he's trying to tell us something? Now, I'll give a bit of credit. I like the use of number connections and the literary reference here. Although, thinking about it, it's a little contrived, maybe. Deb mentions the name of the radio station and Dokes just so happens to turn and see a Bible on the side and opens it on the off chance. Ah, we'll see where it goes. But that evening... Rudy pays Dexter a visit at his apartment, seeking advice about Deb. He tells him about the argument. Dexter suggests Rudy tell Deb it's all his fault. Then Rudy's phone rings. It's Deb. Hey, where are you? Still at work, chasing a lead. Let me guess. The bloodbath case. Can I talk shop right now? Baby, I am so sorry. You were totally right. I was mad at Dexter and I took it out on you. My shift's almost done. You want to come over and talk? I'd love to, babe, but um, I'm about to eat dinner with Dexter. Well, after. Yeah, but here's the thing. Um, I think I'm going to sleep in my place tonight. I mean, it's closer and I'm drinking, you know. You understand, right? Yeah. I'll call you tomorrow. Poor Deb. (laughs) I'm saying that a lot lately. You can see the look on her face. She thinks she's getting the brush off, and perhaps she is. Rudy's getting close to Dexter now. Maybe he doesn't need Deb anymore. Cut to Batista, out at a Latin music club. He puts his wedding ring in his pocket and approaches a rather attractive brunette. He asks her to dance, but she's spotted a tan line on his finger where his wedding ring was. Rumbled. (laughs) But it turns out she's divorcing too, and she dances with him. And we have a little Latin dance number. He's smiling, having a good time, and then he spots it. There's a woman dancing nearby with a prosthetic hand, and the fingernails are painted different colours. Remember the fingers that they found before, encased in ice. Fingernails painted just like that. The previously on Dexter segment at the beginning of the episode showed it to remind us, and I have to say at this point, just a little digression, I don't like these previously on segments. They treat us like idiots, reminding us of key moments from earlier shows that will come into play in this episode. It's a bit of a spoiler, really. I mean, you can see something that we've not seen for a few episodes and think, ah, so that's going to come up this week. It kind of, it can kind of spoil the surprises a little bit. 
Will they show, they might feature a character we've not seen for a while and we think, oh, they're going to turn up this week. The networks might argue that they do them for viewers who don't watch every episode, but really? This is a totally serialised show. No standalones. Why would anyone just dip into the show from time to time? They did the same with Lost, which was a big problem for me as I was. Com- I tried to stay completely spoiler-free with that, and uh, I'd, I'd avoid the uh, the trailers for the next episode and avoid the previously on Lost segments, like well, as if my life depended on it. <laughs> but maybe that was going a little bit too far. But I digress. Back to the plot. Batista talks to this woman, and it turns out she painted them like that for a client about a year earlier. He'd got rough with her, but stopped when he saw she had a prosthetic hand. And then it turned him on and he got all kinky with it, painting the nails like that. And then she liked the colours, so kept doing it herself. Batista asks her if the guy on TV, who was arrested for the ice truck killings, whether he was her client, but she says no. Further confirmation, then, that Neil Perry isn't the ice truck killer. Not that we needed it. We jump to Dexter's apartment. Rudy's leaving, but as he goes, he mentions Dexter's funny turn at the crime scene. He offers to help, saying he's a good listener if he wants to talk about it. Dexter says, not if you're not an expert with repressed memories. And now Rudy's ears prick up. He tells Dexter he had his own experience with them, and tells a story about being at high school and having visions of a woman being hit by a truck. And then he says one day it came flooding back. She was his mum. He was there and saw her die. How old are you? Four. I don't remember anything until I went and mailed a letter. Walked right into the belly of the beast without knowing. What kind of memories are you having? They're still a little vague. Right. You're going to have to face it eventually. Maybe next time. It's a gripping scene, this one. Rudy all genial and open. And we know full well, of course, that he's a stone-cold serial killer. Good work by the actors there. I also like the nice touch of the camera angle on Dexter, slightly above his eye line. It's hard to describe, really, but it makes his eyes look dark, and you can really see the latent darkness within. It was a nice touch. It's palpable. And when Rudy says that he has to face it one day, Dexter turns slightly and there's a tiny note in the background music that makes you think he's going to snap or something. It's quite subtle, but it was a really well-produced scene, I think, all round. Back inside his apartment, Dexter muses that Rudy misunderstands his problem. He wants the boy in blood to go away, not come back. He notices Rudy forgot his phone. Next day, LaGuerta has a meeting with Captain Matthews. He accuses her of stalling on the hotel case. She says she just wants to avoid speculation. Matthews says he doesn't want another PR disaster in the department. She urges Matthews to let Neil Perry go to help that goal. He says it's not going to happen and tells her to let it go. Batista talks to Masuka, telling him about the ex-hooker. What do you know about amputee fetishes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 no, it's, uh, it's called acrotomophilia. But don't let him hear you call it that. Sounds like a disease. No, they prefer to be known as, um, devotees. I knew you were the man to ask. <laughs> Not really. I prefer a girl with kung fu grip. <laughs> uh, you know who you should talk to? Is, uh, what's-his-face, um, Deb's boyfriend. 
Uh, prosthetics guys deal with devotees all the time. Yes, we do love Masuka. He's the go-to guy for information on anything remotely kinky or perverted. But holy moly, Batista could be going unknowingly right into the lair of the beast if he goes to talk to Rudy about this. Will that hooker wind up dead as a result? Dexter's in the white room, the room where he simulates blood spatter patterns. I'm sure we saw it earlier in the season. Rudy walks in, shown in by a police officer. He's come to collect his mobile phone. He takes an interest in what Dexter's doing. He's trying to simulate the hotel room bloodbath to identify the tool used by the killer. And it's funny seeing Rudy helping Dexter, giving him suggestions to help him investigate a crime scene he set up. In the squad room, Dokes is speaking to the troops, stressing the need to find out the significance of 103. It occurred to me here, I wonder if the 103 thing is Rudy's little joke. Something to set up. Something he's set up to keep the police occupied. Give them a dead end to chase. Searching for something that isn't there. Then Deb goes and confronts Dexter in the blood room. How do you always do it? Do what? Make me feel like I'm six years old all the time. This is about Rudy. He was just picking up his cell phone. Where'd he leave it? Uh, my apartment. What was he doing there? Uh, eating steaks. And? Uh, I don't know. beer. And? Deborah? And? Talking? Talking. You talked. You opened your mouth and sounds came out. On the same night that I wanted to talk to you, but you shut me out. Oh. Yeah. Oh. You don't talk to me, Dex. You spend our entire lives keeping me at a distance. But my boyfriend shows up on your doorstep with a couple of T-bones. There are porterhouses. Porterhouses. And you end up tossing beers back into the middle of the night. Dex, you are all the family that I have, and I barely know you. So if you're going to eat steaks with somebody after a rough day, somebody's going to break through your fucking walls, I think it should be me. I think I have earned it. I'm late for Rita's deposition. Deb, it's hard for me. You know that. I hate to say it again, but poor Deb. You can understand her being upset. Although Dexter didn't tell Rudy too much, it was a lot more than he told Deb. And it's just typical Dexter keeping that wall up around him, not letting anyone in, keeping his true feelings to himself. It could make him very alone in the end, preventing anyone making much of a connection with him. His relationships are generally kept very simple and manageable, and when things get complicated, like now, he just doesn't know what to do, or how best to play it. So he takes Harry's age-old advice and keep quiet, say nothing, not let anyone in. It's worked so far, but it's pushing away the person who's closest to him, and Deb won't want that to happen. Dex is the most important person in her, li in her life, the only family she's got, hence her emotion coming through in that scene. And well done Jennifer Carpenter there. It was a very convincing performance. And at the moment Deb's waiting for a response, and she needs a response. Dexter just looks up at the clock and realises he's late for Rita. It's really sad for both of them. Deb only wants to help him, be there for him, be his sister, be his confidant. 
Would it really kill him to open up to her a bit? As things stand, from his point of view, it would help his longer-term cover if he did and keep her happy. Good scene. Batista pays Rudy a visit at the hospital. He tells him it's about a case. As Batista talks, Rudy closes the door and picks up something that looks like a chisel. You know he's getting ready to take Batista out if it sounds like they're onto him. But luckily, Batista says he's just hoping Rudy can shed some light on amputee devotees, as Masuka talked to him about. Rudy agrees to talk to some people and see what he can get for him. Batista gives him his card, and when he leaves, Rudy puts the card in a drawer with some colourful nail-polished bottles. Not that we really needed any confirmation that Rudy was the one the hooker was talking about. We join Rita at a deposition. There's a problem over her uh, cancelling Paul's visit to go with Dexter to sort out Driscoll's house. Basically, she violated a custody agreement. Paul should have been asked to agree with the plans. It's tough for her, plus she's got to go to a psychiatric evaluation, which is apparently normal in these cases, but there's a chance she could lose the case. Dexter sits there looking thoughtful. Do I sense a kill room being constructed in his head? It's been a while since he had one. And then that evening, Paul's at Rita's house, caught chaperone nearby. He tells her that he'll drop the charges if she agrees to unsupervised visits. He puts it all nicey-nicey, but she has a rather vague response for him. Fuck you. Sorry, did I say vague? Maybe that wasn't the right word, but well done, Rita. Couldn't have put it better myself. Paul saunters over to where Dexter's doing the washing up, putting dishes away. He starts talking about being clean, a changed man thanks to the children. He says Rita doesn't understand the gravity of the situation, and there's tension in the air. The background music illustrates the growing anger in Dexter, who's making kind of sideways glances at Paul. And then Paul tips the scales. My heart beats for those two kids. So if you or that skinny bitch try to screw with what's mine, I swear to God, I don't care who I have to hurt. Yes! Love the sound effect there. The sound of saucepan on bone. Brilliant. <laughs> but Dexter's voiceover says Harry's first rule don't get emotionally involved. Michael C. Hall's expression here is priceless. It's grimace, a classic oops face, <laughs> pretty comical. And when he hears voices coming, we have a classic hide the body moment. Sorry, I do apologise. The mobile studio again, I happen to place the car next to where someone's cutting the grass. <sighs> Dexter carries Paul out to his car, takes the brake off and pushes the car along the road out of sight from the house. Nice touch, so as not to make too much noise, as if the ping wasn't loud enough. Dexter comes back and asks, sorry, Rita asks where he's been, taking out the trash, Dexter says. So true. We cut to a bit later. Paul's dumped on the bed in his motel room. Dexter puts on some rubber gloves. It's time for you to go away, he says. As he draws up a syringe... Is he going to kill him? We don't get an answer because it quickly cuts to the next day. LaGuerta's making a TV announcement that the ice truck killer case is being reopened in light of the new blood evidence at the hotel. The blood matches the victims. In the police room, Batista's shocked, saying he hopes she told the captain she was doing this. And that's true. She could be in for a world of pain if this is a declaration of war on her superior, even if she's in the right. We've seen what a political game gets played at that level. And indeed, Captain Matthews walks in. Who knew about this? And he looks more than a little pissed off. In LaGuerta's office. She says she gave him a chance to make it right, but he barks at her, saying he made her. This is his department. 
he's seriously angry and makes a threat that she won't be occupying this office for very long. Amazing, isn't it? Okay, she's undermined his authority, but she's doing the right thing with the physical evidence. Neil Perry has been proven not to be the ice truck killer, so it's right for the case to be reopened. But it's that political game again, counterproductive when it comes to fair justice. At Reese's house, she's got the good news that Paul has gone back to jail. She's all giddy and happy. Dexter smiles and muses how no problem is insurmountable when you have the most accessible evidence locker in Miami. We get a little flashback to Paul and his motel bed, needles still sticking in his arm, spoon on the bedside table, gun and ammunition there too. Police officers come crashing in, and that, it seems, is that. Dexter muses how the code of Harry is unbroken. Nicely mentioned that. He was all prepared to break it earlier, and that would have been unprecedented. Rita calls Dexter to join her, Astor and Cody in a hug. You're part of this family, she says. And that's nice, but whether it means particularly much to Dexter on an emotional level, I'm not so sure. We cut to Batista in a car park, locking up his car, and he gets jumped by someone in a mask with a knife. Not much of a shock, really. The scene. <laughs> he was ripe to get jumped in there. And in the melee, he gets stabbed, fumbles for his gun and keels over. The attacker runs off when two guys appear and run to help. And Batista lies there in a growing pool of blood. Back at the station, we presume a little bit later, Rudy turns up, bringing Deb some flowers. He's wanting to make up, and she's pissed off with him. But then he says those three little words, and that stops her in her tracks. She says she loves him too, and while they're kissing, she notices that he's hurt. His hands hurt. No prizes for guessing how. But they head for home together. Obviously, Rudy still has use for her. We join Dexter at the now infamous hotel. He's gone back. He's plucked up the courage to investigate room 103 himself, feeling sure it was set up for him, and for a good reason. He just has to find it. Memories and images come back to him, and it's hard to watch, quite frankly. Maybe more so because I've seen the whole series to date. No spoilers, but I've seen the whole Dexter journey so far, as I'm sure a lot of you have, and seeing him get these memories back it's it, it's just so powerful and <laughs> I'll be honest quite moving we see a woman who looks a little bit like Rita but clearly his mother she's in a pool of blood dismembered bodies around her a very young Dexter sitting there in the blood screaming and crying a man is there with a chainsaw the woman tells Dexter to close his eyes mummy loves you she says It's awful, to be honest. Very harrowing. We see Dexter, his head spinning again, the camera circling around him, and he collapses to the floor under the weight of these memories and stares at the ceiling. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. So, quite frankly, bugger me. What an ending to an episode. Watching that final scene again, I really felt it. Very harrowing. This was a good episode. Not the best of the season, but certainly contained imagery that'll stay with you. Dexter collapsing in a sea of blood is one of those classic images of the entire series, not to mention the shocking image of a small boy sitting in a pool of blood, dismembered body parts scattered around him, and his mother telling him to close his eyes as the chainsaw hovers over her. Just horrifying. But we've been building up to this, haven't we? Dexter's origin has been very foggy and barely hinted at until Rudy started giving him triggers to stir up these hidden memories. 
and through this we get an idea of how the seed of his dark passenger was sown. Traumatic doesn't come close to describing the impact on a young child. My mind boggles at what it did to him. And from these flashbacks, from the flashbacks we've already seen, it's clear that dark passenger started manifesting quite early on. Harry spotted it, and it frightened him. He reacted by trying to cover it up to protect, protect this young child, help him channel it in a controlled way. And over the years, the much-mentioned code was developed, which had become Dexter's commandments, the rules which govern his existence, and provide him with some degree of comfort and reassurance. It's a frightening thing, really, and one that we'll definitely be talking about more over the next couple of episodes. Listener Feedback Okay, we've got a bit of feedback to go through. Uh, Firstly, a quick shout-out. A couple of you have been very kind to leave iTunes reviews. Uh, Both of these actually were on the Polish iTunes. Uh, One from Lenny Maz and one from Tomoliop. So, uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Thanks to both of you. Very much appreciated. Okay, emails. Uh, First, Barbara in New York has emailed in. Hi Gareth, great podcast last time as usual. I also enjoy your listener feedback. My partner and I have also had ham steak and eggs for breakfast after watching the Dexter opening. The only thing left is to press some coffee and squeeze a blood orange. I love revisiting this first season week by week to match your podcast and I hope your listeners agree. The hardest thing to do is not give away spoilers. Okay, random thoughts about seeing Red, which by the way was an exquisite episode. When Dexter staggered out of the blood-soaked motel room, I looked for Rudy in the crowd. I didn't see him, but I did see the... Sorry, I'll read that again. I didn't see Rudy, but I think I did see the Observer. Little fringe reference there. Rudy's reaction in bed that night with Deb was creepy. She was jumping his bones, and all he could do was talk about her brother. If I didn't know better, and we all do, I'd find Rudy's behaviour kind of gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But Rudy's interest goes way deeper than that, doesn't it? Poor, poor dopey Deb. I loved how Dex handled Paul. Hooray! It fit with Harry's code, didn't it? Yet got the job done. Good for lovely Rita, Rita maid. Meter maid. Because her lawyer really sucked. Finally, three quick lines. Leave it to Masuka to know about prosthetic fetishes. Oh my God, Angel, run! And that last scene was indeed breathtaking. Thanks again, Gareth, for all your hard work in gathering material for your podcast and then doing it so well. The audio is perfect. Having the occasional helicopter fly overhead makes it seem like you're a journalist in the battlefield. <laughs> Sincerely, Barbara from New York. Thanks, Barbara. Well, I <laughs> actually, three um, Lynx helicopters flew over just before I started recording, but I didn't quite get to record in time to catch those. Uh, but I hope the lawnmower makes up for that. Uh, thanks for your email. Yeah, um... You obviously like the episode. Uh, I like your Observer reference. I, I too, am a big fan of Fringe. Uh, I'm very much enjoying the uh, recent episodes. Yeah, the scene with Rudy taking an interest in, in Dexter kind of... Well, it was a bit of a passion killer, wasn't it? So I, I don't blame Deb for being pissed off about that. So thanks for emailing in again. It's always good to hear from you, Barbara. Thank you. Right, we go to a voicemail. Here's Sandy in Seattle. Hi, Gareth. It's Sandy in Seattle. Well, first, I just want to say that I'm really excited that other people have started reading the book, The Psychology of Dexter. So thanks for talking about it. That's great. And if you ever do a podcast just about the book, like you mentioned, that would be awesome. So 
I rewatched episode 10 the other day. And the thing I want to say most is that I felt so bad for Deborah, you know, when she was in that white room with Dexter and she's begging him to open up to her. I felt really sad for her because, you know, as the audience, we have the advantage of knowing why Dexter has to be so secretive and, and we know that he doesn't know how to interact and how to deal with emotions like most of us do. But Deborah doesn't know that and so she you know, she can't help but take it all so personally, you know, when he shuts her out. And I'm sure I'd feel the same way. And he's really all that she has, so she really needs that relationship. And I really like Deb. And as much as I love Dexter especially, I realize more as the season goes on that he would be a really hard person to have <laughs> to try and have a relationship with. It would be very frustrating. So I sympathize with her and Rita. But um, who did not love seeing him slam that frying pan upside Paul's head? That was great. And then when he made the face, you know, like, uh uh-oh. That was really hilarious. So I thought it was a good episode. Um, You know, the bloody hotel room and causing Dexter to have the flashbacks. You know, that, that ice truck killer, he's very clever. So I'll just stop here and say thank you for all your time doing the podcast. It's great. I look forward to it. And cheers. Thanks very much, Sandy. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, ring the listener line. Uh, it's great to hear your voice. You've, you've been uh, a, f- a pretty regular emailer. So thanks very much. Good to hear from you. You uh, obviously particularly enjoyed the uh, the Deb Dexter interaction this episode, as did I. It was some good character stuff, seeing Deb almost begging Dexter to open up to her, and you could understand her frustration and hurt at his reticence to do that. Um, and obviously I talked about in my review what I thought of um, of Dexter building up that wall around him, as, as we've seen him do before. And, uh, well, you, you can kind of understand it, but I don't know. I, th- I think it would be quite rewarding for him to open up to Deb and, and have that channel there. Um, I'm sure he would uh, benefit from the, the that deeper connection. So thanks, Sandy. Email from Tom in Poland who says, Hi again. I don't really have much to say this time. The episode was rather well done. It seemed rather slow-paced to me except for some intense action in the end. I think the biggest thing was the flashback in the end. Quite disturbing, actually. Also, Batista's devo- devotion to his job makes him more and, a more and more interesting character. I'm really unable to form any more reasonable thoughts on this episode, though. Don't know why, so that's all. I hope this email's acceptable. <laughs> Indeed, Tom, it's, uh, I, I appreciate any comments you guys send in, so um, I, don't appreci- I, I, I don't mind whether it's um, a long email or a short ma- email. Uh, everybody's comments are welcome so uh, thanks for taking the time Tom uh, yeah I enjoyed uh, Batista's uh, Batista going that extra mile and, and giving up on that uh, lovely young lady in the uh, the Latin club uh, to pursue uh, that, that avenue of investigation putting his uh, uh, putting his job first before um, his libido so uh, fair play Angel nice one mate uh, but obviously it cost him didn't it cost him in more ways than one we should say right a couple of final things math match put my teeth back in <laughs> weekly occurrence matt humphrey has emailed just asking me whether i've ever seen twin peaks and whether i'm a fan 
and um, whether I'd do a review of the series. He was looking for a Twin Peaks podcast. In fact, uh, Matt emailed me twice. He emailed me to my other podcast, Gareth's Waste of Time, but obviously I'm not I'm not broadcasting on that feed at the moment. I, I, I will again sometime, but um, for now it's all it's Dexter all the way for me. So uh, just responding to that here, yes, I am a fan of Twin Peaks. Um, I watched it all live um, as it was airing back in the early 90s and, and was a big fan. Uh, I even <laughs> I even went so far as buying a black suit um, in honour of uh, Agent Dale Cooper, who was my favourite character. Um, and actually, uh, I, I mentioned my autograph collection. I do actually, one of my favourite autographs is um, a signed photo of Carl McLaughlin um, as Dale Cooper, which um, he signed, uh, Diane, this Gareth is a really great guy. <laughs> Well, words to that effect, uh, but obviously in character there, so I really appreciated that. That was nice. Uh, so thanks, Matt. Um, I may well cover Twin Peaks at some point, um, maybe do a, a, a Waste of Time special or uh, certainly include a, a little bit of a chat about it sometime down the road. Um, before I close out this section, thanks to Jamie Wallace who uh, emailed me. Um, he's currently on tour of Australia with his wife, uh, working and, and travelling, uh, having a really great time by the from reading his blog. Um, Jamie was uh, one of the two presenters of the fantastic 24 UK podcast, uh, which was um, following, obviously, the, the Fox TV show 24, um, and they did a really great job and certainly was some inspiration for me to set up my own podcast. Uh, and Jamie's been very kind as to offer extensive tips and advice on um, podcasting and, and various other aspects, because uh, I've been considering the possibility of maybe getting a uh, trying and approaching one or two people associated with Dexter maybe get them on for an interview and uh, Jamie's been kind to uh, share a few tips because they got quite a few good people from 24 uh, to be interviewed on their show so thanks Jamie okay uh, before we move on the listener lines the phone numbers are in the US it's 206 337 4817 and in the UK it's 0844 579 6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320. The email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com or you can also contact me via Twitter at dissectdexter or there's my personal Twitter which is at Gareth underscore UK. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. As always, quick spoiler, if you don't want to know anything about the next episode, skip forward a minute to avoid any details. Although I can't imagine there are many of you who uh, are possibly watching for the first time at the snail's pace I'm churning out these podcasts, but it's just a courtesy. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, next episode, season one, episode 11, truth be told, and the synopsis goes like this. Dexter investigates when the ice truck killer strikes again. Sergeant Dokes continues to grow more suspicious about Dexter after catching him in a series of lies about his connection to the ice truck killer. Dexter finally finds a connection between him and the ice truck killer over a past case involving Harry Morgan. Meanwhile, Lieutenant LaGuerta braces herself for dramatic changes in the department when Captain Matthews makes her a scapegoat over the ice truck killer case. Rudy and Deborah spend some quality time together. With Angel in the hospital recovering from the stabbing, his estranged wife pays a visit, while Rita decides to take her children to visit Paul, who's now back in prison. So, very interesting. The ice truck killer strikes again. There'll be a new, a new body to investigate. 
but on the face of that synopsis, it doesn't sound like there's there's any anything that's going to happen uh, to arouse Dexter's suspicions about Rudy. So, um, are they leaving that for the finale? Because, <laughs> yeah, there are only two episodes left, including this one. So uh, there's really not much time to wrap this up, but uh, we could be in for a could be in for an exciting couple of hours, couldn't we? It'll be interesting to learn about that connection between Dexter and the ice truck killer uh, when we discover that past case involving Harry. I wonder what that is. I mean, that synopsis suggests there's uh, bits and pieces going on elsewhere with our, our other characters, but let's face it, it's the Dexter storyline that we're really interested in, isn't it? Although, to be fair, it sounds like um, Rudy's going to keep stringing Deborah along, and uh, let's face it, he is stringing her along, isn't it? isn't he? But uh, he's going to be wheedling his way ever further into her affections and, uh, well, the emotional fall is, is undoubtedly coming. I hope Dexter's there to catch her. season draws to a close oh, two episodes left there's not much time left for Dexter to find out Rudy's true identity that being as the ice truck killer and well we've talked about haven't we his what what is his motivation what's his hidden agenda for playing Dexter this way that's yet to be revealed as well so there's still a lot of interesting stuff to come and uh, I'm excited to re-watch it with you and uh, and talk about it so um your feedback, comments, theories, always welcome. Dissectingdexter at gmail.com and I've, I've, I haven't got the voicemail lines to hand. Where are we? Yes, I have. <laughs> Rustling of paper. Uh, in the US, it's 206-337-4817 and in the UK, 0844-579-6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320. Well, that brings us to the end of another dissecting dexter as i'm sitting here baking it's nearly 20 degrees out there it's like summer it's fantastic i'll not waffle anymore i'll just say thanks for downloading thanks for listening thanks for your feedback thanks for your continued support much appreciated take care guys i'll be back soon and we'll dissect some more dexter cheers mm-hmm.